on the prequel to the 43rd episode, we're talking about the Oscars and previewing Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, welcome back to this film is lit the podcast where we talk about movies that are based upon books. It's the prequel to the 43rd episode. We don't have a learning things this segment this week because we're busy. We've been out of town. We've had a lot of stuff going on, both very busy with work currently. So we didn't get to do as much research as we would normally like to do. So we're just going to chit chat about the Oscars, which we did mention at the last uh, during the Black Klansman episode Uh since it was nominated for an Oscar. And that's kind of one of the reasons we did it. So let's let's talk about the Oscars a little bit. Does this make up for do the right thing? not winning the Oscar for you right now. <laughs> I'm snake bit. I mean, every time somebody's driving somebody, I lose. <laughs> so, Black Klansman was nominated for four awards. Yes. Um, and it won one. one of them. Yeah. Which was cool. Which is also kind of a trend it looked like for the evening. We didn't watch the whole awards, but I kind of glanced in and I was looking at them today. It looked like a lot of stuff won an award. Yeah. Like it kind of got split around a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about some of it. But yeah, it did. It won one award and the one it, the the award it won was probably the one we were most interested in mm-hmm. in that regard because it's best adapted screenplay. Yeah. So uh, and Spike Lee got his first Oscar. He's been nominated five times now, I think they said, during mm-hmm. the award ceremony. It was one of the few moments we actually happened to turn on and watch. Yeah, was we when happened they won. to turn it on, like, just in yeah. time. Yeah, we were kind of kicking back and forth between things. And then, yeah, he walked up right on stage and jumped in Sam Jackson's arms. Which was adorable. Yeah. And I thought it was a really nice gesture, too, that the rest, because there was four writers. He was one mm-hmm. of four writers nominated for the award. I, I liked the fact that nobody else, everybody else is like, the other rest of yeah. them were like, you can just take the whole time, Spike Lee. <laughs> <laughs> You've waited long enough. He's been waiting 30 years for this. You you go do that. Um, I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. And a, a yeah. nice gesture. Because um, he, he did not end up winning in a Best mm-hmm. Director or Best Picture. So, mm-hmm. um, Which... Uh, well, some of the other awards that did go out, though, uh, Marshala, Ma- Mahershala Ali won for Best Supporting Actor for The Green Book, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I believe this is his second Oscar because he won yes, for... he uh, won for Midnight, Midnight didn't he? Midnight, yeah, uh, which I still haven't seen. I really wanted to see. I think somebody in a, just showed it around here. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like at a student group or something showed mm. it. Um, Regina King won Best Supporting Role for If Beale Street Could Talk, which is a movie I hadn't even heard of until the Oscars. I didn't even know what it was. I don't was. think I had heard of it until the Golden Globes. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. Until like the awards. I obviously out. I, it did not come here. Very small, obviously. So. <laughs> like it must have been like a very niche sort of yeah. kind of indie film, or maybe not indie, but you know, not not a big name movie that shows up at every theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olivia Coleman won Best Actress for The Favorite, which we wanted to see, uh, but yeah, our, I really wanted. We to didn't see get the a favorite. chance. Well, we'll see it, um, but we didn't get a chance in theaters. It, just the, just as the time we were going to look to get tickets for it, they had like two showings a day yeah. at like noon. So it was like, all right. Um, but it's funny because I forgot. I didn't realize who she was. Uh, and then I saw her and I was like, where do I know her from? Realized uh, she's the policewoman in Hot Fuzz who does oh. all constantly does all the sexual innuendos, mm-hmm. like the one woman on the squad. Uh, and I was like, oh, that is her. And she's won an Oscar. So but that was interesting. And then Rami Malek won for Bohemian Rhapsody, which I didn't see. I didn't see any of those four movies. Mm-mm. So, um, 
I mean, very little to say on those. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse did win for Best Animated, which was exciting, because that was, like, maybe my favorite film of last year. Yeah. Up there, top three for sure. Um, my top three movies, uh, coincidentally, are exactly the same as Mikey Newman's from Movies with Mikey. We watched his top <laughs> three films of, or top five films of 2018, and my top three were verbatim his. Uh, it was mm-hmm. Black Panther, Into the Spider-Verse, and... Eighth grade, mm-hmm. I think, were yeah. his three. Yeah. And mine are in the same order as his two. And I don't remember exactly. I think it was eighth grade, Black Panther, Into the Spider-Verse, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, or Black Panther and Spider-Verse might have been switched. but um, Black Panther did win uh, several awards, um, mostly technical. Best costume. But that was the big one that people yeah. were talking about was best costume because the costume designer <clears throat> was also, um, she works with... Uh, Spike Lee a lot. Mm-hmm. She did like all the costuming for Do the Right Thing and all, a lot of his earlier. I assume she probably still works with him. I don't mm-hmm. know. But um, so, yeah, best costume design one, which makes sense. Uh, yeah. Looking at uh, looking the costumes from that movie were fantastic. Um, Alfonso Cuaron, a, a Harry Potter alum, <laughs> won best director for Roma, which that's on Netflix. We could watch that one. Heard it was really mm-hmm. good and kind of the probably the general consensus people's choice for maybe what should have won best picture potentially mm-hmm. uh, that or black Panther yeah. maybe I, best director. I was really pulling for Spike Lee. I was but too. It's, it's hard to be mad that yeah. Karan Karan's won. a great director. Yeah. And from what I've heard, Roma's fantastic. Uh, I was pulling for Spike Lee. I, again, I I've said it earlier. I don't think this was his, at least it didn't stick out. This uh, black Klansman didn't stick out in my head among the three or four of his films. I've, I've seen, at least four. I've seen uh-huh. uh, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Inside Man. It's probably better than Inside Man since Inside Man's kind of like a generic, like thriller action-y film. It's not like super interesting. But Do the Right Thing and I think Malcolm X were both more deserving in terms of like the director's mm-hmm. uh, choices he made with those films. A little more interesting, uh, maybe. Um, but I still would have liked for him to win for Best Director. Uh, we'll see if he still... I'm sure he's not done. I don't think yeah. it doesn't strike me as being <laughs> done directing. Uh, and then Green Book, controversially, yeah. one best picture, and people on the internet were not happy about it. And now, you were saying this about Beale Street. I had not heard of Green Book until had, the awards season started. Yeah, I had heard of it um, because of it had a pretty big cast. Not that Beale Street didn't, but it, the cast in it with uh, Mahersa Ali and uh, mm-hmm. Viggo Mortensen. Uh, and uh, I think Octavia Spencer was in it. It had a pretty mm-hmm. like a pretty studded cast, and so I had heard of it. And seeing like trailers, but I and I think it came to our theater, but I just didn't, yeah, I didn't go see it. So, and I, it looks when I watched the trailers, I was like this looks interesting. This looks like it could be good. Uh, but yeah, it's controversial. Uh, people, uh, movie Bob, one of the critics I like a lot, said in his opinion after he tweeted that it was he think potentially the worst movie to ever win uh, best picture. <laughs> in his opinion, he did not like the movie at all. Um, <laughs> And I know a lot of people had problems with it, uh-huh. uh, sort of uh, for its uh, focusing on. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, like I, the general consensus that I saw, and yeah. please bear in mind that I have, have not, not seen, seen movie. this movie. Yeah. The general consensus that I was seeing, the things that people were upset about, was like, at worst, it's like a white savior yeah. type of a narrative. At best, it's something that might have done well 30 years ago yeah. but it's just really tone deaf it's a little now. tone deaf currently yeah i can see that uh i can definitely see that um 
And it's interesting because it was also the thing that I thought was wild and I didn't realize the, the thing that I super didn't realize about the movie was that who who directed it. Mm-hmm. It was uh, fairly uh, one of the there's they were bro- their brothers. Um, and I think it was just one of them that drawn John fairly, maybe. But uh, so I was looking through his credits. I was like, I know that name. He's the guy who directed Dumb and Dumber. Really? And well, the brothers did uh-huh. like all those movies, Dumb and Dumber, um, Me, Myself and Irene, uh, the the um, what's the one with Brett Favre and uh, Ben Stiller? Um, oh, I can't remember. It's got a woman's <laughs> name in the title. Uh, it's the one where the guy gets semen on his ear and she thinks it's hair gel. Oh, there's something. There's about something Mary. about Mary. They something about Mary, uh, Dumb and Dumber Two or whatever. Like so, like uh-huh. slapstick cheeseball comedy stuff. Interesting. And then did this, which is also like, and from the trailer, very clearly like somewhat of a comedy. Like uh-huh. it's definitely playing with like that writing that comedy drama line, kind of like Black Klansman to some extent. Um, but yeah, it was like very surprising to me that. He directed because it and it didn't. And I was like, whoa, did he make a turn later in his career to like more like sort of serious kind of like interesting topic? Like, you know, mm-hmm. no, just this one out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, it's interesting, um, and especially, too, because those movies, I, I think probably of, of a lot of the like a lot of comedy from the 90s and early 2000s hasn't aged very well. Yeah. And so like that same idea of like that being the guy directed like the, the, the sort of creative vision behind this very uh, sensitive political kind of discussion uh-huh. about race seems like a weird choice yeah. whereas and i'm I, more interested to hear what spike lee has to say yeah. about race in america than i am <laughs> fucking john fairley or whatever like you know it's like eh. i am i'm seeing a lot of people saying that now too in kind of the aftermath of that movie winning um that it's not gonna age well yeah like i've seen a lot of people comparing it to crash yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know how apt that comparison Again, I, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen Crash, and I, but when I saw it, I, I didn't, I wasn't of the age to appreciate whether, like, I wasn't yeah. good at critiquing film at that point. Um, and so, yeah, it, but uh, yeah, a lot of people comparing it in the same because that's also widely regarded as like one of the worst movies to mm-hmm. win Best Picture, and it, it is. It's one of those things that just feels really tone deaf by the Academy too, of like. They look at it very surface level and like, look, this is a very, uh, it's a movie about racism and how racism is bad and this, the relationship between a white guy and a black guy. Mm-hmm. And it like feels very progressive and good, but it's like, maybe we don't give the award to the person, to the old white guy who made a movie yeah. about that when we have two movies also about that written and directed. Yeah. By people of color who have lived that experience yeah. and have probably a little more interesting of a perspective on it than the, one of the Fairley brothers. Like, I mean, yeah, it is really, it says something about yeah. the Academy and, it just feels and who, weird. who makes up the Academy yeah. Yeah. and what their yeah. kind of outlook is. Yeah. And that's not to say, like, obviously, if it's, I haven't seen it. So if it's objectively just a better movie than those things, like, I say objectively, there's no way for something to be objectively better or whatever but like so i have no idea you know i don't know i I saw black or klansman and i saw black panther i didn't see green book so i don't i can't really judge it in relation to those Mm -hmm. films um but yeah there is something that feels without having seen it toned up and and (laughs) that reflects what a lot of people on the internet have sort of uh Mm -hmm. said about it yeah well julia roberts announced that and i immediately scrambled for my phone Mm -hmm. to get on twitter yeah (laughs) I think my favorite was I think it was during the pre uh, the red carpet ceremony beforehand. Uh, 
the, somebody, a British reporter asked Spike Lee uh, if what like his thoughts about Green Book and mm-hmm. like if he was offended by it or something like that. And he didn't say anything for a second. And he just kind of looked at him and smiled, and he goes, "We, well, you got you British people have a saying. It's not my cup of tea, <laughs> something like that." And then just like walks away. Uh, I saw it. I saw just a little clip of it that somebody tweeted or something, and I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, it. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised. I thought they were gonna get just give it to Bohemian Rhapsody. I really did. That would have also been incredibly tone deaf, uh, given the the singer stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah, that wouldn't have surprised me. And I also heard it was not good. But that's one of the other memes going around is that so Bohemian Rhapsody did win best editing. Mm -hmm. And there's a million memes of of people just posting segments from the movie and just how chaotically it is edited. Mm -hmm. Like. It doesn't look well edited to me. Now this is this is excerpts taken out, thirty second excerpts pulled from the film, right. where it's just like, but there's so many cuts that seem completely unmotivated, and it's wild that again, out of context, it's wild to me that that would win best editing. But what I, you know, mm. uh, that's what everybody, a lot of people on the internet are saying. But you know, it's it's interesting. So, um, I think that was all I had to say about the Oscars. Large, fluffy pink dresses oh, yeah. seemed to be the fashion. Yeah, I noted. I like looking at the dresses. Yeah, I no, do. That's fine. It's always it's always interesting to me. But I did note multiple oversized bright pink dresses and one oversized black tux dress. Yes, that dude was fucking rocking. <laughs> uh, Billy Porter. Yeah, just killing that thing. I've never seen a tux dress. But it was a look, and he it made it work. So he owned it. He did. He owned it. Uh, so yeah, that was the Oscars. They were. They happened. I don't know. <laughs> Again, we barely watched <laughs> that's them. That's almost always how yeah, I feel. That's about always the how Oscars. I feel about. It. I'm a little interested. Like like last year, I was like, oh cool. Yeah. I'm glad uh, Del Toro won. Uh, no, mm-hmm. Yeah, he won director and best picture. Yeah. And I got like, and I loved uh, Shape Water. Was like my favorite film in 2017. So I was glad that it won. Um, and this year, I. You know, I would have been happy if Black Panther won or mm-hmm. um, although I, I might make the argument that I think Into the Spider-Verse is a better film, maybe than Black, maybe than Black Panther. But uh, the, an animated movie is not going to get no. not, when there's an, yeah. an animated category. It's not going to be nominated for Best Picture. But um, yeah, so yeah, it happened. Let's, uh, let's preview Mrs. Doubtfire or as it's called in novel form. Um, it actually was published under two titles. Oh, okay. In novel form. There you go. Sorry, I don't want to jump ahead on your fun facts, but yeah. Well, let's get into book facts. Yeah, then. that's what I meant. Book facts. Yeah. His marriage is ending. My marriage is not ending. It's just on hiatus. To put his family back together, Daniel Hillard needed a job. Do you have any special skills? I do voices. Yeah. Nancy and I are. Still looking for the other half of my head. Look at me right now, Moneypenny. I want to undo that bow and get to know you. Mr. Hillard, do you consider yourself humorous? I used to. Um, so this is a 1987 book by British author Anne Fine. Um, and like I said, it was published under two titles. Um, it was Madame Doubtfire in the UK and alias Madame Doubtfire in the US. I tried to find out why that decision was made. I couldn't find anything out about it, so I have no idea. <laughs> All right. 
Um, but for some reason, the U.S. publisher decided they needed that alias on there. Alias, Madame I feel know. like a spy thriller than alias, Madame Doubtfire. America does tend to be um, a little puritanical. So maybe they wanted something extra to explain why there was a man dressed as a oh, woman on the yeah, cover. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Mm, maybe. America gets like that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Um, so I thought this was going to be a children's book, um, and it's not not a children's book, but it was actually intended for like the older end of the middle grade to yeah. like the younger end of the young adult range. Gotcha. Um, so like slightly above what I was expecting yeah. that this book would be for. Yeah. I was thinking it would be for like. I don't know, like the seven to ten yeah, range. You're and it's more the eleven. It's to more like 13. the eleven to thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. Um, it's also meant to be satirical. It's hmm. a satirical novel, um, which is interesting to me because, if, at least from what I remember, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but I feel like the movie plays it fairly straight. The movie's not satirizing anything yeah. that I. Um, or I mean, as straight Good as you place. can, considering some of the story's elements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the movie definitely doesn't seem like it's satirizing. I, yeah. At least I would be hard pressed to figure out what it is going yeah. after. Um, yeah. And to be honest, I'm like halfway through the book, and I'm not entirely sure what it's meant to be satirizing either. <laughs> yeah. Um, possibly divorced parents. Okay. Is is my thought right now? Like I said, I'm about right. halfway through, so maybe that'll become a little okay. clearer as I finish it. Yeah. But uh we'll see. Um so the book didn't win any awards, but it was nominated for 3. Uh Guardian Children's Fiction Prize, um the Observer Teenage Fiction Prize and the Whitbread Children's Book Award. Was nominated for all those. Whitbread and not white bread? I don't know. I don't know. It's a British thing. I've never heard of it. (laughs) Maybe some of our UK listeners can help us out. Um, I have a couple things about the author since I couldn't find a lot about the book. Um, I didn't know this book existed. Yeah, no, we did. We've talked. Yeah, we've. We started you posted about it several times on social media that, and lots of people seem to agree that they had no idea that not a clue. Um, but the author, um, Anne Fine, she's written more than 70 children's books. Wow. Um, she's actually kind of a pretty prolific, like, British children's author. Um, she did write two that won the Carnegie Medal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's only she's one of only eight authors to receive that honor more than once, which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, when discussing her writing career, Fine has stated, In 1971, my first daughter was born. Um, Unable to get to the library in a snowstorm to change my library books, in desperation, I sat down and started to write a novel. Um, Which I liked because one of the big writing adages is like, if the book you you want doesn't exist, you have to write it. Mm -hmm. Which is not quite the same thing going on here, but pretty close. Close. She's out of reading material, so she was like, I guess I'll have to write that. Write myself a book. (laughs) Um, Fine was also the Children's Laureate in the UK from 2001 to 2003, um, which, as I understand, is kind of like being a, an ambassador mm. for children's literature. Right, yeah, it makes sense. Sounds maybe a little bit similar to like the Poet Laureate here in yeah, the US. Yeah, probably. Um, and one last thing, I thought this was cool. 
Um, Fine has supported the campaign Let Books Be Books, the goal of which is to persuade publishers to stop labeling and promoting books as girl books or boy Mm, books. Um, And she said, I thought this was funny, in a 2014 interview, um, there are girls of all sorts with all interests and boys of all sorts with all interests. Just meeting a few children should make that obvious enough. (laughs) But no, these idiotic notions are spouted so often that they become a self-fulfilling societal straitjacket from which all our children suffer. So I thought that was neat, yeah. kind of progressive. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that beginning when you said the name of the initiative, I thought that was going a different direction and she was going to be uh, sort of the arch nemesis of our podcast. <laughs> like books be books, do not make them into movies ever. <laughs> and she's in, she's wildly against the uh, entire endeavor of our podcast and exploring adaptations. Nope. But no, uh, that's a something that I agree with. Yes, a lot. I do as well. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about the movie that came from said novel, Mrs. Doubtfire. The terrorists, they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. This holiday season. Surprise. Robin Williams. Mm. Sally Field. Who needs a husband when I've got you? In a Chris Columbus film. Back off! Mrs. Doubtfire. Got a top here. A father's work. Is never done. Oh, first here's a woman. I'm getting hot flashes. So, Mrs. Doubtfire is a 1993 film starring the late great Robin Williams, Sally Field, and Pierce Brosnan, as well as our second appearance of Matilda. Yes, Mara actually, Wilson. also our second appearance of Sally Field. Mm-hmm. She was in. Um, um, shoot, <laughs> I just totally blanked. Um, the movie with the cats. The cat and the dogs. Homeward Bound. Homeward. Oh, That's right. Her voice. Okay. Yes, yes. 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 That she makes, voiced the cat. Yes. She is the. Uh, she is sassy. And yes, Homeward Bound. Yes, you're right. So that is like okay. Woof. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't not remember Sally Field and anything. Yes, her voice. Yeah, correct. Um, it was directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, for third Someone time we've done. We have, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, fourth time actually, because he has directed a bunch of stuff, but included in that is Home Alone. Rent, which I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first two Harry Potter movies yes. and the first two Percy Jackson movies. Wait, he directed that? That's what it said, unless I might have been looking at producing. Um, he also directed Night at the Museum. Yes. Which we've done. Yes. So, yeah, we've, we're, uh, they, they've, um, they used him a lot because he does, he does kind of children's yeah, he seems like kind of like the children's movie, like family friendly, feel good, and like action guy. adventure go to. Yeah. Because see, when we did Percy Jackson, we didn't do prequel episodes, right? So we didn't do as much as like looking into who did what on them. But I'm like ninety nine. Yeah, Chris Columbus. Hmm. It is. That's um, interesting. I wonder if they brought him on because, because of, of Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. I guarantee that's why they did. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it was written by Randy Singer and Leslie Dixon, uh, the latter of which uh, the first one worked most has worked mostly in TV. The second one, though, has done Freaky Friday, the Hairspray mm. movie from like 2012 or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, Limitless most kind of most recently with the Bradley Cooper film about like a drug that makes your brain work super good or something. <laughs> kind of a wide ranging uh, uh-huh. series of films she's worked on. Uh, it was nominated for one Oscar, or sorry, won one Oscar, was nominated for three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Oscar it won was Best Makeup, 
and okay. it was won by Greg, uh, Greg Canham, Yolanda Tusing, and V. Neal. Uh, all three of these people, kind of legends in the industry, especially we ever wanted to talk about and mention V. Neal, mm-hmm. uh, because she's been nominated for and won a bunch of uh, Academy Awards, won three of them, has been nominated for many more. Uh, and here's just a list of some of the movies she has worked on as a makeup artist or, or usually like the head of the makeup department for the film. Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, every movie in the Pirate fran- the Pirates franchise, mm-hmm. The Hunger Games, uh, both of the amazing Spider-Man movies, Galaxy Quest, Austin Powers, Matilda, speaking of Matilda, Dick Tracy, Hook, Batman Returns, Mars Attacks, Star Trek The Motion Picture, and like a whole lot more. Um, and she won three Oscars for Beetlejuice, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of uh, Tim Burton films in mm-hmm. there. And a lot of stuff that's known for like, Yeah, like makeup. makeup and effects and that yeah. sort of thing, yes. Uh, and she's a uh, one of the hosts on Face Off, which is a show we really enjoy. Um, it's available. We, we just started rewatching it. It's available on YouTube TV. And what it is, or at least it's available on demand on YouTube TV. I mm-hmm. looked and it's not anywhere else. It's not on any other streaming service for free right now. It used to be on Hulu. It's on like Hulu Plus. Oh, or maybe with Hulu Plus. Yeah. Maybe. Um, we don't pay for we that. We have regular Hulu. Uh, <laughs> but if you have YouTube TV, they're all on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can rent, buy them or rent them from Amazon Prime or whatever. But uh, it's a, a game show, or not a game it's show. It's like a Project Runway-esque yes. um, kind of show. Or Master Chef or Top Chef yeah. or any of those kind of game shows where it's a, uh, a, a some sort of artist or... And they get like a challenge every week and that they have to do. And it starts with 13 of them and then they get whittled down and somebody ultimately wins over mm-hmm. the course of 13 episodes. Uh, but in, in Face-Off instance, instead of cooking or fashion or whatever, it's a special effects makeup. Yeah. So they create characters. They have different challenges where they create different character makeups. Um, it's a really good show. Uh, I really enjoy it. We, well, we both really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Uh, kind of watching the creative process and... Um, Seeing, you know, the decisions people make. I always find that yeah. really fascinating anyways. That is what a thing that I really like about Face Off is that it focuses a lot on, like, showing how they do things yeah. and, like, what their process is, which yeah. is really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it does. it's it's one of the best shows and one of the best sort of those type of quote-unquote reality shows, in my opinion, because it doesn't focus on like personal drama and yeah. like it does a little it, it does that more in the first that, season but it doesn't it, they almost drop it completely in like this mm-hmm. by the like the third or fourth season it pretty much drops that all completely and just focuses on the art and like the sort of i mean there when there is drama during a project they don't like not show it but yeah. they don't you know have as much of the like weird behind the scenes like them in the house is bickering whatever um <laughs> again the first season has a little more of that than later seasons but uh but yeah, it just focuses on these are really talented people. Watch them do cool stuff and talk about why they're doing what they're doing and how. And then it's I think it's fascinating and a really fun mm-hmm. show. It just ended or they did like 14 seasons. Yeah, there's a ton of it. Yeah, a ton of back episodes yeah. to watch. There's 14 seasons and a spinoff season where they do like a chopped style. If you watch the yeah. TV show Chopped, they did like a chopped style season of a spinoff called Game Face um, where it's independent episodes but uh anyways check it out face off highly recommended and v neal is uh, one of the judges along with glenn hetrick the ultimate edgelord <laughs> and uh neville page for a lot of it and sometimes patrick Dutopoulos. Yeah. i love glenn hetrick he yeah. looks like if hot topic came to life as yeah. a person yes he's very top heavy yes very top heavy man anyways <laughs> i don't know if anybody else out there cares about face off but we do so 
No, we're done talking about it. <laughs> uh, speaking of the makeup, uh, Robin Williams' makeup when he was Mrs. Doubtfire took roughly four to five hours every day to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, according to one biography, Robin Williams decided to test out the believability of his makeup by uh, going out into the world and walking around with it on to see if anybody recognized him. In fact, he walked into a an adult uh, bookstore slash sex shop and bought uh, several dildos as an 80-year-old woman or, you know, 90-year-old British woman uh, and did so without being recognized. So wow. It worked. Um, I thought this was interesting. Uh, during the scene where Mrs. Selner comes to his uh, apartment, it's the famous one where he sticks his face in the pie mm-hmm. uh, or the cake or whatever. Uh, he's serving her tea and the icing. So he sticks his face in the, and I don't want to ruin everything about it, but he sticks his face in the pie to cover his face so she can't see him and it starts melting off his face. This wasn't planned. Um, it was so hot from all the lights and stuff that uh-huh. the icing just started like melting off and falling. And he, everything he like does in relation to that in that scene is just improvised, which Robin Williams famously improvises a ton, mm-hmm. improvised a ton on all the sets and everything. And Christopher Columbus just gave him free reign like just do whatever you want they would do yeah. a million takes and they just let him do whatever he wants so much so that to the point that chris columbus said that we could have cut a pg version of this movie a pg-13 movie an r version or an <laughs> nc-17 version of this film <laughs> based on the different like well all of the different takes we got from rob williams oh, and the stuff he made some of those right <laughs> the r-rated version of this movie would be really, really interesting but uh they were always going for like a pg-13 so uh, so the prosthetic that Robin Williams uses in this movie is actually a prop, which we would know if you watched Face Off, because the <laughs> way that ma- uh, prosthetics work in real life is nothing how they work in this film. In this movie, he has like one big rubber mask, mm-hmm. basically looking thing that he sticks on his face. Uh, in reality, his the, the makeup was like eight separate pieces, which is when you're doing yeah. that sort of makeup that moves the way it does and looks as real as it does. It can't be a big rubber mask or else it will look like a big rubber mask. <laughs> So, like, your chin piece is separate and your cheeks are separate and the neck piece is yeah, separate and, and the like head, a, you know. all And a nose piece. Right. And, and all those pieces get splinted together. Uh, and, you know, play, especially places where you think your mouth moves or your eyes moves, then there's creases and that sort of thing um, mm-hmm. have to kind of be separate and split up so that it moves more naturally. So, yeah. Uh, it was, for me, I knew. I was like, well, that's clearly not how yeah. that would work. But if you don't know, you know. Like, when I was a kid, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I was like, nah, that could be how it works. But, yeah. Eight different pieces for his makeup. If it had been just one rubber mask, it would have been a horror movie. Yes, it would have been truly terrifying. <laughs> the mask we see in the in the in the film, if he were wearing that in reality, it would he would look like like Leatherface or something yeah. like it. Yeah, it would be terrifying. Uh, during the restaurant scene at the end of the movie, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire's teeth fall into the glass of champagne or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cat, rest of the cast sitting in the scene, had no idea this was going to happen, <laughs> and so apparently all of their reactions on film in that moment are genuine. They're genuine, like uh, sort of unrehearsed reactions <laughs> to that scene. This is a fun little fact. Throughout the movie, Mrs. Doubtfire says the word "dear" one hundred and one times because <laughs> that is kind of a go-to. Yeah, for her character is "dear." Uh, this is interesting. Blake Lively was considered for the role of Natalie Hillard. Uh, hmm. Hilliard, Hillard, however it's pronounced. Uh, made it to the final round of auditions between her and Mara Wilson. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately Mara Wilson got the role. And this was actually Mara Wilson's first film. Which I didn't oh, know. really? Yep. It was her film debut. So I, you didn't bring this up, so I'm going to mention it. When Anne Rice was approached to make a movie out of her novel, her original choice for the lead role was Warren Beatty. 
because Beatty's reputation, and this is, I thought this is interesting. The reason she wanted Beatty was because of his reputation as a great womanizer. She thought it would be hysterical to see him dress up and pretend to be a woman. Well, that's one way to cast I, this. Sure. I thought that was also, an interesting. I just want to point out, you said Anne Rice. Oh, fine. Instead Sorry. of Anne Fine, yeah. Anne Rice, very different. Yeah. Very different books. That's like Interview with a Vampire and all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I just misread it. I have Anne Fine here. I just, my brain, yeah. Uh, (laughs) That would be very different. So this was interesting. Tim Allen was offered the role of Miss Doubtfire slash Daniel Mm -hmm. Hillard. I like that this particular website, I got this from IMDb. It says Mm -hmm. Tim Allen was offered the roles of both. Oh, never mind. I read was offered the roles of both Mrs. Doubtfire and Daniel Hillard. And I'm like, well, obviously, um, <laughs> but it was offered Mrs. Doubtfire, Daniel Hillard and Stu Denmeyer and Stu's Pierce oh, Brosnan's character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he rejected both of them, which I'm glad for. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have worked in either of them. I don't no, think. it wouldn't have been uh, more. So Robin Williams is one, but even still, uh, he's too like, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. He doesn't have that same softness to no. him that Robin Williams no. does. That I, don't think I think so. you need to pull off a role like this. I agree. I don't think it would have been half the movie with Tim Allen. Yeah. But that's just because Tim Allen's uh, Tim Allen's a tenth of the comic the, or comedian true. and actor yeah. that Robin Williams <laughs> is. So, um, uh, other people that were considered for the role of Miss Daniel Hillard slash Miss Doubtfire, which I thought, holy, oh, I mean, this is just, they say considered, and I wonder in this instance if it isn't just like, let's throw names at the wall of people yeah. who we might yeah. get, because it's literally just like huge, huge names other than one person who at the time I thought was interesting. So the big three names, uh, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, and Tom Hanks, which is like, hmm. just, that's just, you're just slamming like the right. three biggest yeah. stars at, you know, out and just being like, well, maybe we'll get them to do it. But then the fourth one, especially at the time, Brian Cranston, which like at the time, the only thing I can think he was even in was like Seinfeld at that point, uh-huh. I mean, which even that I don't know is 93. It would have been because, yeah, that's before that's well before. Uh, I mean, it's well before Breaking but it's even Bad, before but it's Malcolm even before, in the Middle. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, what was he even because like he was in Seinfeld really early on. Um was he, did he get his start doing, like, stand-up, maybe? I don't think he did. No? I don't think so. I was going to say maybe he, I, he could have, like, but I, I, I don't know enough about, I don't know much about, you know, like, his career uh-huh. um, uh, until, like, Malcolm in the Middle. But let me, I'm going to scroll back and see what he had been in. He was in an episode of One Life to Live in 85. He was uncredited in a movie. Uh, he was in an episode of Chips in 82. Um, he was in an episode of Hill Street Blues in 87. He was in an episode of Return of the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman. Oh, the movie hmm. in 87. Uh, a bunch of stuff nobody's heard of. <laughs> it was in one episode of Baywatch in 89. He was in Corporate Affairs, some movie, but I don't know if that's. Hmm. Like a big movie or not. He was in one episode of The Flash in 1991. He was in two episodes of Matlock in 91, but only two. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing anything on here that you would be like, well, obviously. 
Brian Cranston <laughs> to lead this. Like he's all like it looks all like bit parts and stuff in in things. Oh, maybe he knew somebody who was like on the casting yeah, board. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe threw his name in there as a yeah. favor or something because. He did show up in two episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in 1993 mm. as Twin Man slash Snizzard. <laughs> I assume Snizzard is oh when it God. gets bigger, maybe. I don't know. Snizzard. Snizzard. <laughs> but yeah, and then he doesn't really blow up, you know, he's not really, he's in a couple of an episode hmm. of Babylon 5. It was, I don't know. Interesting. He was in that thing you do. In 1996, but yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I I can't see any of those four guys you named doing this role. I could see Tom Hanks the most. Maybe, yeah, maybe Tom Hanks. The other, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, not at all. Mm -mm. Um, Brian Cranston, I could see, but I'm just surprised he was, yeah. No, yeah, Robin Williams is the only choice. And finally, uh, the film earned $219 million in North America, along with $222 million worldwide, or in other countries, a worldwide gross of $440 million, which I like this fact, making it the highest grossing cross-dressing film in history. (laughs) Which is a very specific, I don't know what that list is, man. Okay. Uh, And it became the second highest grossing film of 1993, behind only, do you know, 93? 93? Highest grossing movie in 93. Uh, Aladdin? I'll give you a hint. We've done it on this show. We've done it on this show. 1993? I don't know. Jurassic Park. Jurassic. Oh, Jurassic <laughs> Park was 93. Yep. I As always a... think that was slightly later than it I was. I know. I always think 94, 95, yeah. but yeah, 93. 1993 for Jurassic Park. So that's it for the preview of Mrs. Doubtfire slash alias Madam Doubtfire. That will be our episode next week. Uh, I don't know if it's on anywhere to stream. I don't know either. I haven't checked yet. But I'm assuming I can get it through our library. Yeah, I'm sure it won't be too hard to find. It's on TV a lot. You can probably, if you have have TV, you could probably DVR it pretty easy because it shows up quite often. (laughs) I I was just on a couple weeks ago. I noticed I saw it and turned it on for a few minutes. But anyways, that's next week's episode. Until that time, you can do us the great favor, like always, of rating, reviewing us on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to our fine podcast. Subscribing to us on all of the social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on Goodreads. We have a subreddit, r slash this film is lit. And I think that was everything. All this, that was all social media. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all of them. Uh, and until next time, guys, gals, not binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.